Well, if you would, open up your Bibles. We're moving through Colossians. We are in a sermon series titled, Walking in Faithfulness. And today we're going to look at Colossians uh, chapter 2. It's verse 6 and 7. It's really just one word, though. Uh, one sentence, rather. Uh, a few weeks ago, as we looked at the end of chapter 1, Paul told the Colossians that he gladly struggled with all of the power of Christ that was in him. Why? What for? He said, to present everyone mature in Christ. It's his concern for that church, and it should be our concern for our church. The question we should be asking ourselves is, are we maturing? Are we growing as Christians? Today's sermon text is just one sentence, and yet it conveys the central theme of Paul's letter. How do we grow as Christians? And what is the sign that we are on the right track? You want to know? Well, let's read and study. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. As we, as we have it unfolded before us, as we study this beautiful sentence in Scripture, may, may we be transformed by it. May you humble us with this word, but also may you lift us up in Christ Jesus, that this joyfulness, this thankfulness that is ours in Christ would be truly ours in Christ, we pray. Amen. I don't want plenty, I want lots. That's what one of my sweet daughters used to say when the dessert tray was passed around and she looked at it and I would say, well, I've given you plenty. And she would say, well, I don't want plenty, I want lots. <laughs> Cute, huh? Yeah, kind of, it is. But she points out something about our human nature. We don't want plenty out of life, we want lots. And this means that even when we're satisfied, listen, even when we're satisfied, we are not satisfied. We live in a constant tension between longing for more, while at the same time we're concerned that we'll lose what we already have. Do you sense this in your life? I'm not sure? All right. Well, what is the sign that this is impacting well, the telltale sign that we see in our passage here is that you lack joy. Joyfulness, thankfulness is missing. Or if you have joy, it's likely it's kind of a half-hearted joy that's what dependent upon your circumstances. And so let us use this helpful diagnosis this morning, this diagnostic question. Ask yourself, do I have joy? And, and is, this, is my life characterized by, by an overflowing of thankfulness that isn't contingent upon my circumstance? I think if we're honest, I'm afraid most of us will not be able to answer that question in the positive. 
But in our text today, Paul points us to the way of overflowing thankfulness. Look at the last three words in our text. Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding. Well, that's like a million-dollar word. Pure gold it is. Abounding is far more than lots. Everyone here in this sanctuary has room in their life for lots. But abounding? Abounding overflows. It cannot be contained, nor can you store it up. That is what the Greek word Paul uses is about. The Greek word, paraseao, means to exist in abundance with the implication of being considerably more than what would be accepted. It implies the possibility of leftovers. What a picture of a life lived with Christ as our Lord. We may suffer for him as we serve in his kingdom. There may be many trials, but no matter the circumstance, with him as our Lord, joy overflows in us. The church in Colossae needed to grow in this area, and no doubt, so do we. They have Christ as their Lord. They are Christians. He is caring for them. But it seems that outsiders are telling them that, well, there's more. There's more to life than just Christ and the life that he's called you to. In fact, they would say, you don't have lots. In fact, you don't even have plenty. But we can offer you what you need. Understand this as well. That longing you have inside of you for lots, not plenty, your, your hunger for a life that doesn't just get by but overflows, that longing you have for uninterrupted joy and peace and delight, that sense in you is not there by accident. God made us. He, he pre-wired us for endless satisfaction in him, that overflows and overflows and never ends. And so contrary to what people think about Christianity, that Christianity is an invitation to come and experience a subpar life of drudgery, uh, an invitation to a life of of conforming to to rigid and life-inhibiting rules. Contrary to that, Christianity actually frees you so that the God who made you can now lead you into abundant thanksgiving. And so a life with Christ as your Lord lets you embrace the fact that, yes, you've been made for abundance, so stoicism is not your answer. But also a life with Christ as your Lord lets you see this world, and and you come to know that as good as this world can get, it never truly satisfies the deep eternal longings you possess. So therefore, the Epicurean lifestyle of eat and drink for tomorrow you die, that isn't your answer either. What is the answer? Paul shows us the answer is Christ. He is the key. He doesn't give you a program. He gives us a person. This is what Paul has been reminding this small new church in Colossae. And here's the point he's making. When you walk with Christ Jesus as your Lord, no matter what comes your way, you abound in what really matters, thankfulness to God. 
See, only Christ Jesus, the Lord, can cause us to abound with thanksgiving. So let us live our lives for him. That's what we're looking at this morning. I'm thankful to Dick Lucas. Uh, He's a pastor in England. I think he's about 95 years old now. Um, But he points out there's three aspects to Christian growth in this one short sentence. And so they will be our headings this morning. The first is this. As you received, so live. The second, as you were rooted, be built up. And then as you were taught, be established. First, as you received, so lived. So live. This is a summons for us to live devoted to the very Lord who saved you. Paul begins this sentence by saying, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Remember when Paul refers to walking, he's emphasizing how we live our lives. And the truth that Paul is presenting is this. Listen, you never graduate from Jesus. Jesus, The Jesus that we received is the Jesus in whom we live our lives. And who is it that you receive? There's three words. Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Now the word Christ, that's not Jesus' first name. It's his identity. It comes from the Hebrew word uh, Messiah, um, which means anointed one. The expectation of the Jewish people in Jesus' day was that God would send his anointed one, the Messiah, and he would rescue and deliver God's people. But most in Jesus' day rejected Jesus. Why? They didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah because he died on a cross. They could not receive the truth that God's Messiah did not rescue them from the Roman emperor or the empire, but rescued them instead from their sins. But Jesus is the Christ, and he has delivered. He has rescued us from our sin. And Christian, you have received him. Think about this. There is no better Messiah to come. The best Messiah that heaven has to offer has come to you. So stop looking for abundance apart from him. In fact, let him be your what? Your Lord. Paul says that as we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him as your Lord. That's what he's implying there, is he not? The Colossian church was being led to believe that you move on from Jesus, that that Jesus is the starting point, but not the central point of their new life in Christ. And we can live this way too, can we not? But Paul would have us understand that the more you grow as a Christian, the more, not less, you attach your life to Christ as your Lord and walk in obedience to him. If you remember chapter 1, you recall that Paul opens with this big and glorious Jesus, that he is God Almighty, and in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He made all things. He owns all things. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is Lord of all. And so Paul is summoning this new young church, a lot like us, new and young, to a greater understanding. This Christ Jesus that we proclaim to you, you received him as your Lord. Therefore, walk with him as your Lord. This is for us, too, this morning. What is our proper response to having received Jesus as our Lord? Well, we're to walk in him. 
And so here's what that looks like. It, it, it causes us to desire certain things like this. We desire, we say, may his desires become our desires. May his goals be our goals. May, may his love flow in us and through us. May his holiness work in us and grow in us. May we live for his kingdom, not our own kingdom. May our hopes be wrapped up in his promises. And when we live this way, Listen, that is when the joy and the thankfulness overflows. There is no other way to experience a joy that that isn't contingent upon our circumstances other than walking with the Lord. Now, perhaps you're hearing you're saying, well, you know what? I don't want anybody controlling me. I'm the Lord of my own life. Well, listen, it's true. Jesus is the Lord over heaven and earth even if you think it's nonsense. C.S. Lewis aptly put it this way. Listen, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the words darkness on the wall of his cell. The sad truth is you can bury your head in the ground, but in a few decades, let's be honest, in a few decades, the ground will cover the rest of our bodies. I say this not to ruin your day. I say it so you recognize your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And check out, here's the, here's the really beautiful thing about the gospel. Jesus came not just to be Lord of your life. He came to be Lord of your death, too. What do I mean? Well, Jesus rose from the grave in victory over death so that all who trust in him will also triumph over death, too. That's the gospel message. It's why Paul went everywhere, not just preaching about Jesus on the cross, but Jesus resurrected from the cross. Listen to Jesus' own words to Martha. Remember when her brother Lazarus had died, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What a bold claim if it's not true. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so that we can come to this conclusion. If Jesus is Lord over my greatest tragedy, my death, is he not worthy to be Lord over my life too? If Jesus is able to make thankfulness abound even over something as horrible as my own death, then will he not make thankfulness to abound over all the circumstances in my life, even those circumstances that feel like death to me? The answer is yes, and yes, and yes. So have you received Jesus as Lord? If so, then walk with him as Lord, an experience, an abounding of thanksgiving. As you received him, so live in him. Next, as you were rooted, be built up. This second point flows out from the first, right? And it is a summons to grow in Christ. Imagine if you're a farmer who is looking for new ground, new land to sow your crops. And you're out looking, and you come across the most amazing, rich, dark, fertile soil you have ever seen. 
and you buy it. Think about the delight you would have when the weather starts warming up. You can't wait to do what? Plant the seed in that soil. Why? So you can water it, so you can see it take root and grow. That is the picture Paul presents for us. Paul says, as you were rooted in him. Consider the magnificent image Paul is presenting us. The, the Greek word uh, rooted, it's a, it's a participle. It's, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a completed action. It's already done. And it's also in the passive voice, which means it's not something that you have done, but rather God has done for you. And here's the beauty of what God has done for you in Christ. He has rooted your life in his life. Listen, Jesus' perfect, beautiful, loving, obedient, joyful, delightful life. Jesus' perfect mind and will and holiness and power. This is in whom your life has been rooted. God has done this for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. God has taken you up out of this world in which you've rooted yourself to happiness and work or career or marriage, and he's picked you up and he's placed you in Christ. And the roots go down into the richest of soil. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that you're on good ground with Christ? See, when you root your life in anything but Christ, you will eventually find that the soil lets you down, but not so with Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus as your Lord, you find that God has planted your roots in the best soil available for your soul. Now, Paul's point is this. As you were rooted in him, be built up in him. Think it through. No one ever buries a seed or a bulb in the soil hoping to never see it again, right? No, we want to see it grow. What's it going to be? No, the person waters it. Can't wait to see it shoot up. Now, I know Paul is changing metaphors. He's gone from, from rooting to building up. He's gone from agriculture to architecture. But that is what Paul is describing. Roots shooting down into the very life of Christ and then growing, building up in Christ. And if the roots are in Christ, what should the, the growth look like? What should the building look like? Christ. Paul is saying what seems so obvious, but in practice is hard. We are to be built up as Christians. We are to grow. And who we are to grow into is who we are rooted in, Christ. They were, we were called Christians way back when because we were little Christ, Christ life flowing through us. That's how it should be today. Remember the underlying problem in Colossae and the issues that Paul is addressing. The church has been, by God's grace, planted in Christ. The roots have gone down into the rich soil of Jesus Christ. But the false teachers are getting the Christians there to doubt that that is enough. They're telling the Christians that, that Jesus is good and all, but he isn't the top shelf of spiritual experience or achievement. There are secret levels that we know that we know that if you would come to us, we can share them with you. We have some secret rituals and rites that other people don't have access to. But if you come to us, uproot yourself, we're going to show you some amazing things. Your life will abound. You'll have fullness. 
And so Paul summons them and us. Just as you were rooted in him, be built up in him. Don't look anywhere else. In other words, don't allow yourself to be uprooted from Christ and transplanted back into the soil of this world apart from Christ. You've been rooted in him, now be built up in him. So, Christian here today, take a moment to evaluate your walk with the Lord. Do you recognize that that God has graciously planted you into the soil of Christ? And are you remaining in him, soaking in his nourishment that comes from from being rooted in him? Or are you looking elsewhere to be built up and overflowing? So, as you received him as Lord, so live in him. As you were rooted, be built up. Now for our last heading, as you were taught, be established. A few months back, maybe it's just a month ago, I was, I was driving around an unfamiliar part of Long Island with one of my daughters, and we were getting hungry. And I said, you know what I really like right now? A Five Guys hamburger. And no joke, five seconds later, out the left, through the window, we saw it. What was it? A Five Guys restaurant. And, there, and then we go in and we sit down and we're eating this beautiful juicy burger and my daughter noticed that all of the five guys look alike all of the restaurants the same red and white checkered tiles the same box full of free peanuts same menu and so we talked about franchises and how in order to become a franchisee you you sign legal documents that 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 you say that you're going to run the business as you were taught how to run the business. You can't deviate from it. You can't stray from the corporate design or the menu. Like you cannot own a McDonald's franchise and decide that your location, well, we're going to serve grilled cheese sandwiches and and tomato soup. You You just can't do that. No, you went to McDonald's University and you were established in the truth as to how you're going to run your restaurant. Now, Christianity is not a fast food restaurant. But Paul is saying, don't let those outsiders come in and try to get you to think that your simple Five Guys burger joint that you have now needs to become a Ruth's Chris steakhouse, right? Christians, you were taught the truth regarding the faith. You're established in the faith. Don't move on from this simple gospel message. And so the summons here is towards a deeper understanding of the gospel. Paul writes, established in the faith, just as you were taught. Now, when Paul uses the words faith here, he's not referring to a believer's trust or, or faith, but, but to the faith, which is the apostles' teaching. Paul is referring here to the content that they have received and believed. Christianity has central truths that are unique to the faith. And so as a Christian, as Paul says, um, is, is one who has been what? Established in the faith. Now, if you rearrange these two phrases, it makes a little more sense. Paul is saying, just as you were taught, be established in the faith. Paul is summoning us to a deeper Christian understanding. But check this out. He isn't saying, all right, Christians, now you need to dig deeper into doctrine. That's where you're going to find this 
this joyful thankfulness. No. That was what the false teachers were saying, that there's more advanced instruction that you Christians need in order to experience the full life you long for. No, Paul is saying, you've been taught the gospel. Now, don't stray from it, but rather go deeper in it. Be established all the more by God's grace. You know, I've told this story before, but it's been a while, and I think it's helpful in this, in this, in this um, part of the sermon. When I was a youth pastor, I used to hang out a lot with young male students. And, and some of the best time of hanging out with these guys is like when you're driving them around, driving them to youth group or home or, or out for a meal or something. And, and I can't tell you how many guys in the privacy of just me and them in my car shared with me their struggles. See, they saw the Christians around them and they, everyone seemed to have it together. And they would say something to me along the lines of, Mark, when am I finally going to be a good Christian? When will this struggle with sin be over? See, the assumption was that there was a day to come when Christians finally grow out of their struggle against sin. And that on that day, finally, there will be joy and thankfulness. My answer was both a shock and a comfort. A shock because I said, you will battle against sin until the day you die. Not that you won't put to death some patterns in your life were to expect that. Some sinful tendencies that maybe you had early on in your Christian walk, those you've God in his grace has, has put them to death. But and Paul's gonna say, put off the old self and put on the new a little bit later in this letter. But what will happen is that the more you grow as a Christian, the more you see other areas in your life that God wants to work on. Things that maybe others can't see so easily, right? Things like, well, maybe anger. People see that. But pride or self-sufficiency or the hoarding of assets or prayerlessness. And so the shock is that the battle against sin continues until the day you die. How do you, how do you like that? But it's true. That's the shock. But there's also a great comfort that the cross provides. See, the gospel isn't, listen, the gospel isn't just for the day in which you got saved. It's for every day, every day until the Lord returns or calls you home. And so to be established in the faith, what Paul is saying here, means that you rest in the gospel. Day one, day two, day 10,000. It's the comfort that, yes, I am a sinner, but I've been saved by grace. And the mercy that was mine on that first day is the mercy that is mine today. And it's the same mercy that will be there tomorrow. My friends, I hope you see that what Paul is teaching here isn't secondary. It's primary to the Christian life. And without a faith established in our ongoing need for the cross of Christ in our lives... A couple errors come to us. What are they? Well, they're either performance or they're permissiveness. The way of performance says, Christ saved me when I believe, but now it's up to me to, to keep things right, to do all the good things that Christians do so that I, I can know that I'm on good standing with God. And so the Christian life becomes a chasing after rules, trying to do good, putting on a good show, getting angry in private, but... Smiling when others are present. 
You know, we can chase after good things like Bible studies or singing in the choir or serving in the Sunday school. But they actually become harmful if by doing them we somehow feel that we are earning God's favor or making up for some mistake in the past. I hope you see that really diminishes the work of the cross. I don't need Christ. I'm, I'm taking care of my own life from here on out. Well, I needed him on that day that I came to him, but I don't need him now. I'm doing a pretty good job. So in the way of performance, though, ends up in one of two sad places. Where does it lead us? It leads us to pridefulness or defeat. Pride enters when we actually think we are doing it and we look down on others. Defeat enters when we think there is no way I could ever do this and we feel like others are looking down on us. You ever experienced that? That's the problem with performance. Perhaps that's your go-to. For others, it can be permissiveness. That is, you become one who permits and you downplay it. You, uh, you have the attitude that you take grace for granted. You say, well, nobody's perfect. And you have sins in your life that you know are there, and you're like, who really cares? I'm in saved by grace. That's the other approach. What is it for you? Is it performance or permissiveness? Maybe a blend of both, right? <laughs> that creeps into our life. Paul knows we have those tendencies which is why he gave us this verse to to summon us to dive deeper into the gospel that's already been established in us. Paul gets it. Check this out. In a letter that he wrote to Timothy, he said these amazing words. Listen, Paul, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's saying, I'm the chief of all sinners. How's that? Paul says, I'm a sinner saved by grace who daily needs the gospel of grace. And in the very next sentence to Timothy, he writes these words. Listen. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display what? His immense patience. Paul says, my life is an ongoing example of Jesus' Christ, immense patience with me, the chief of all sinners. And where does Paul, and where do we, therefore, experience this immense patience of Christ? It's at the cross. Our faith has been established where? At the cross. And where are you to live every day of your life? At the cross. Christians are never to move on from the cross. Never to performance, never to permissiveness, always to the cross. This fall, we will be launching something we're excited about here. Discipleship groups at Grace Presbyterian Church. So get ready. You guys excited? Maybe not. I hope you will be. Um, But right now, I'm leading a group of six men, and Leslie and Adriana are leading a group of seven women. And weekly, we're, we're discipling them, and we're training them so that they will be prepared to help lead groups this fall. And guess what we're focusing on these next 16 weeks in a row? Doctrine, spiritual disciplines, 
the five easy steps to becoming more cheerful tithers? No. We're focusing on what Paul is pressing upon us here. Our daily dependence and utter need of the gospel. See, a mature Christian is one who knows they need the gospel every bit as much today as the day in which they were saved. A mature Christian never moves on from the gospel. Oh, not that they don't study scripture or memorize scripture or learn doctrine or or serve at greater and greater capacities within the body of Christ, but they know the gospel. They know this cross of Christ, and they know it is for every day. My friends, if you're not clinging to the cross every day, you, you enter into performance mode, or you enter into permissive mode. And guess what? You actually miss out on joy. There's no true joy to be had when we earn a record on our own apart from Christ. Because we end up doing what? Stumbling the next day. And people see us and they laugh. Look at the hypocrite, right? There's no joy or thankfulness in a life of permissiveness, embracing our sin and acting as if it's not ugly. But when we live close to the cross, there is joy, there is thankfulness. Because of Jesus' immense patience is there for us. Isn't the gospel wonderful? Do you see why you can never just move on from the gospel? You don't. You never graduate from Jesus. It's all about him. Christianity is not a program. It's a person. So, this morning, Paul has shown us that only Christ Jesus the Lord can cause us to abound in life. So let us live our lives with him as our Lord. May we take this to heart the truth that the truth that is ours in Christ Jesus, that we've received him as our Lord. So let's walk with him. As God has planted us into the rich soil of Christ, let us grow up, let us be built up into little Christ. And when we fall short, which we will, maybe not run to rules. Maybe not go looking for new teaching to take us to a deeper plane. Maybe do what? Run back to the cross. Find God's mercy and grace anew and afresh. Be encouraged and be filled with joy and thankfulness for God's mercy overflows to you. So may our lives be characterized by thankfulness and joy. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know why we try to make Christianity so complicated. It truly isn't. It's a gospel, a simple gospel, that you, Father, love sinners and have given us the cross 
You've lavished mercy on us. You've taken us. You've uprooted us from this world, and you've planted us in Christ. There is no greater reality that we can experience. There is no greater cause for joy or thankfulness. You've placed us on a narrow road, but it's a good road. Why would we want to walk elsewhere? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would press into us this truth that we've experienced this morning. May we be more and more established in the faith, in the gospel, we pray. Amen.